Hi, I'm Michael Revo, host of Blazing Trails, and I'm here at Dreamforce. And everyone is hustling to get to the hottest ticket right now, at least that's what everybody says. It's a conversation with Mark Benioff and Bono. You know, Bono. He's the lead singer of U2, co-founder of Red and One, and author of the upcoming memoir, Surrender. Bono is an original trailblazer. And now, through the power of our podcast, we're going to take you there. So, let's go. How are y'all doing? Are, are you enjoying Dreamforce? Fantastic. How many of you, is this your first Dreamforce? Whoa. Will you come back? All right, well, we have a great, uh, great interview today, and I think everybody knows uh, this incredible person. Please welcome Bono. You can keep going, it's all right. It's less, less for me to do, it's good, actually. It's excellent. This is nice. Here. I'm so happy to have you back at Dreamforce. And how many of you were here for when you two played Dreamforce? Anybody here? Oh, wow. Amazing. Fantastic. I like, um, I like the sound of the words Dreamforce. I'm, I'm a little suspicious of the word dream on its own. I think it had its moment, you know, in the 60s people could hold hands and dream and want to wake up in the dream. But, you know, in the 90s people were just doing it. Remember that commercial? It doesn't seem like dreams were right. And I like dream force because it's like, it's not inert. It's like you have to follow through on it. There's a, uh, there's a Catholic priest, a Franciscan friar called Richard Rohr, and he has a place out in the desert um, called the Center of um, Action and Contemplation. And I like those, I like the, his order action and contemplation, not the other way around. So dream force, I, li I like it. Thank you for asking me. <laughs> Do continue. <laughs> Good, because we're not changing it. <laughs> it's 20 years strong. Good. Is this the anniversary? This is the anniversary, 20th. Amazing. Yeah. Happy birthday. It's amazing. Yeah, it's been cool, and we attracted so many new people this year. You know, I think everybody, you know, was uh, ready to do something like Dreamforce mm -hmm. and to come to an event and a conference like this, get out of the house and celebrate and look at all the, you know, get connected with each other. We, we spoke quite a few times during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. You were at home a lot. Mm. Maybe probably more than you've been in the last uh, few decades. Yeah, that's true. Um, I was surprised that um, 
my wife and my children and didn't object. Uh, it's a strange feeling, you know, I'm used, to being, I'm used to going off on tour and I, I would ask my wife, Ali, and my children to look a little sadder when I left. Um, but actually, we got on great. We, we used to do kind of theme nights on Fridays and, you know, we... Uh, it was it was it was it was a great uh, opportunity for our family to get close, but we had to, as you did, figure out how to get the PPE. That was rare and, and impossible to get um, to our people in Ireland and elsewhere around the country. I know you worked very hard on that, and we worked together on that. So I spent a lot of time on the phone, and then I spent a lot of time reading that book there. Oh, sorry writing that book there. <clears throat> you, uh, on the back of the book, folks haven't seen it yet because it hasn't come out, and you uh, have a nice phrase back there. You say, it's not a memoir, it's a memoir. A memoir, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I'm a person who, I'm attracted to, I suppose you call them horizontal relationships rather than verticals. You know, I don't, want to be a boss, I don't want to have a boss, uh, I, I'm in a band, I'm attracted to those kinds of relationships. Uh, my wife Ali is always, you know, her thing was don't look up at me, don't look down at me, look across to me, I'm there. That was a phrase I learned from her, so we've got that. And I would say Red is a band, One is a band, Rise is a band, you know, I'm just attracted to bands. <laughs> yeah. Like playing theatres too. When she said, look across at me, was there something that happened before that that got to that point? <laughs> <laughs> well, I never looked down on her. Um, but I, I think men can make the mistake sometimes of putting women on a pedestal and it's a different kind of patronising. Um, so I had to be... There's a few things I've had to unlearn in my life. That was one of them. Uh, your mother was very important in your life, and you, you lost her, Iris. I think we're going to read about that in The New Yorker and uh, in the book. And how, what was that like? It's such an emotional story reading about this idea that, you know, you lost her, at, I think, was it at your grandfather's funeral? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, I mean, people have gone through a lot worse than uh, uh, losing um, their mother at an early age, which I did, and it wasn't great. Um, but just to say that, a lot of people have had to deal with a lot worse in their life. What happened to me was the, whatever hole that left in my heart, in my life, I filled up with music. I filled up with the need for people, the need to be with people I haven't met before and feel friendly and feel close to them, that, that warmth I get from the crowd. I think you can tell a performer who needs the audience. I'm one of those. And that probably comes, this is, I haven't been, I probably, I, I will when I get time, I will do some therapy. But, but, uh, <laughs> I think that is quite a good line. Um, <laughs> um, 
But I, uh, yeah, yeah, I, I, I think that's what it is. You know, you, you fill up, you fill up those spaces, that void. Um, um, and I suppose, yeah, it was a tragic thing. My, it was my, actually my grandfather and mother's f uh, 50th wedding anniversary. My grandfather was danced with all his daughters and they, it was an outside bathroom in number eight, Oxmanstown Row, that was the address. And, um, and he, he had a heart attack. He had a heart attack that night. They had a bucket at the end of the bed because it was an outside toilet. He, he actually did kick the bucket, uh, <laughs> genuinely. And, um, and then I saw my mother the next day and she told me that my, my grandfather had passed away and we loved him. Um, I didn't see her much the next few days, um, but um, at the funeral, as they were lowering my grandfather into the ground, she fainted, um, we thought. But she had an aneurysm and, and that was it. And I, I have that and I, in the book, I, I, I mean, that's, that's a scene I could paint, I could direct, I have every detail of it. And, um, and yeah, lots, a, lot, a lot started there uh, uh, for me. And as I say, she gave me this great gift in passing, um, uh, which is music. Although she wasn't that keen. I, I didn't even know that much about me, 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 my interest in singing. And, and if, you're, if you've got a gift, you know, it's inside you. You, 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 you kind of know it's there, but I didn't admit to wanting to sing or anything like that. And we went, my mother took me to a, to St. Patrick's Cathedral School to meet the headmaster and to see if I could get into the school. And the headmaster, his name is Mr. Horner, he said, uh, now, you know, we have a very, quite a, a, a well-regarded choir in the, in the cathedral school. Um, would you be at all interested in singing or, you know, being a part of our choir? And I, I, was, I, was, I was just frozen because I knew how much I wanted to sing. And my mother went, no, he wouldn't be interested at all. <laughs> and not interested. And, uh, and that one, you know. And, um, but there are ways, you know, um, that um, we get around things and we get there eventually. And I got there, I got here. I'm very grateful. I'm very grateful to my mother. And I will see her again. The book is called Surrender. Um, how did you come up with that? Um, not... Uh, li not literally all the time, but certainly metaphorically, I was born with my fists up. And it's not, the word surrender is not one that comes 
easily to me. It's a word I sort of collected around and gathered up as I was making my way into the telling the story of my life. And I, it's like, it's, it's almost the opposite to who I am. And it's the thing I need to do the most. It's hard to surrender to your band. It's hard to surrender to your wife. It's hard to surrender in your faith. Um, but, you know, I'm getting there. I was going to call the book The Pilgrim's Lack of Progress uh, <laughs> after John Bunyan's. I was also going to call it 40 Tall Tales from a Short Rock Star. <laughs> uh, I was also going to call it The Baritone Who Thinks He's a Tenor because that was my father's put down and very accurate. Uh, yeah, my father's whole thing was, you know, he, he actually wanted to sing. Yeah. And he, he was a, a very, very good tenor. Your father? Yeah, my father was a re really good tenor and he'd just say, look, you are a baritone. Who thinks he's a tenor? Okay. And um, then, yeah, no, I called it Surrender because that's, that's where I want to go. That's where I'm... I also I wrote the book to try and explain myself to myself and to my family, my friends, U2 fans, Redsters, and what I've been doing with my life. And specifically for Ali and the kids whom you know, I wanted to explain what I've been doing with their life because in a way they permissioned me to, to be away from them, to work as an activist with the One Campaign and be away or be on the road with you two. They gave me that permission. I wanted to make an account of it to them and to myself. But I, I ended up with the word surrender sort of late in the process. Because initially I wanted to write the book. I, I wanted to make a, the point I was, I was, I was trying to make um, was that, you know, I'm an activist, I'm an artist, I'm a hooligan, I'm a family man, I'm a tech investor. All these things are part of the same creative process for me. And it's not that I have to be an artist or an activist. Uh, and I made this, this was the real reason for writing the book. And by the end of the book, I'd sort of talked myself out of that. And the thing that I wanted to do the most at the end of it all was to surrender to the song, you know? I wanted to write the greatest song with my great mates. I wanted to write the greatest song that had ever been written, and I wanted to be sung by it. That was where I got to in the book. And you can call the song the divine utterance, you can call it whatever you want, but I came back to the gift that I started with. And, and now I have to justify myself when I leave the house. Um, the reason that, and what I have to justify is when I do my work, 
with one or rent or rise or to be here, I have to say, does this serve the song in the end? And um, so anyway, it was really great knowing you. Uh, Look, this is not our first conversation on stage. Um, we've had other conversations, but we've also had a lot of private conversations. And um, you know, I've really enjoyed getting to know you. Um, I think for some folks, especially singer-songwriters, I think the connection with entrepreneurs is that they're also entrepreneurs, that they're listening to the spirit. They're able to take what they hear and put it down on the paper, their visions. You've crossed that bridge from singer-songwriter to uh, tech entrepreneur to philanthropist, but there is that link with spirit. And that has been my observation of you. When I saw the book and the title is Surrender, I thought it's more of a cue that for you to achieve all that you've achieved multidimensionally, um, that you're surrendering, that you're listening, that you're going deeper. Mm -hmm. So is, is that a fair observation? That's where I'm going. That's the direction of travel. But I might just turn that right back on you because... You can't actually ask any questions as part of our agreement <laughs> that you've signed backstage, so... Well... After, but I do, after no, you, but really, I, yeah. I'm quite serious that, you know, it's a... And so am I. You know. <laughs> Um, thank you, yeah. and yes, but just if I might, um, seeing the divinity in somebody who is sleeping in the doorway as you're stepping over them to go into your office is, uh, is something I wished to hold on to, and I know you hold it. Seeing divinity in the natural world, the sort of ecosystem that keeps us all alive. I, I'm, I'm starting to understand that more and more. But you've been there, and, and the kind of conscious capitalism of Salesforce is why I'm here. I like it. I love it. It's, you know, it's behind red, which we work, we do together. Um, fighting HIV AIDS. Everyone here, if you work for Salesforce, you're an AIDS activist. It's sort of amazing. And, uh, it's, it's an amazing thing. And there's a 20 million lives saved through the global fund in the last year since we set this up. And we're gonna save another 20 million going forward. Yeah. But I think, you know, trying to see the divinity in each other, mm. even in people that we don't like, mm -hmm. not just disagree with, yeah. but see in the people we don't like, yeah. is gonna be critical as we go forward in our different Countries. I think there's people are here from all over the world, right? It's not just Americans. That's right. So 
there's a, there's a sort of new nationalism yes. that's in the world at the moment that's a little scary. In the book, actually, because uh, Ireland has gone through it in its, its moment, you know, um, my father used to say when those, the paramilitaries were out and Ireland was on the verge of civil war and um, uh, the country was being divided along sectarian lines, my father would say, to speak against nationalism, but don't listen to them, he'd say, what is Ireland? He said, quoting Sean O'Casey. I'll quote Sean O'Casey. What is Ireland? But the land that keeps my feet from getting wet. <laughs> I thought that was an amazing line. <laughs> and it turns out, Sean O'Casey never wrote the line. My dad made it up. <laughs> and, but he, he thought us to be suspicious of that kind of thing. And I'm very grateful to my father for that. Um, yeah, he's a very unusual man. He was, you know, Catholic, but he'd order a Protestant whiskey from County Antrim called Bush Mills, Black Bush. And I would meet him in Finnegan's Bar, um, which I think we may have been in, and um, the Sorrento Lounge, we'd sit there, myself and my father, and kind of not talk to each other on Sundays. And he'd order the Black Bush. Mm -hmm. And I'd order the pint of Guinness, and we'd, we'd talk things through. But he was always suspicious of nationalism, and we've just we've just got to be very careful with the way things are going. And seeing the divinity in the people you disagree with, it's hard. There's some people on this planet who are really hard to love. <laughs> <laughs> just coming back to the word surrender in the book title <laughs> and just taking a step away from global nationalism for just a moment. <laughs> um, you are a listener. You listen. You go deep. You hear things in your heart. It's, we witnessed it when you all of a sudden showed up in George Bush's office and you said, hey, we're, we're going. We're on the road. I want to show you some things. And you have demonstrated loving everyone, loving everything, that love is important and that pivoting back to love and that love and surrender are linked in spirit. So when you're listening to that spirit, is that then guiding you in your songwriting, in your philanthropy, in your investing, in your how you're pursuing transformation of the world? Is that part of, your, part of who you are? Hmm. It's interesting, uh, you know, I, I would always say I'm a top line melody person. You know, I'm looking for the top line in, in anything, you know. And, and I would be like, you know, it, not just the top line in the song, in, the, in, in, in you know, going to the hook, but in the, in the meeting, in the conversation, you know, the hook. Because um, I'm, I'm, I, I am, I think... And this is the right place to declare this. I'm a salesman. <laughs> I am. And I, I come from a long line of traveling salespeople on my mother's side, as it happens. 
So the reason the top line melody is important to me, the hook, is because I might have to, you know, I, wanna, I have to communicate it. And um, now, I'm a bit worried sometimes when people tell you the song was given to them by God, because then you think, oh, not that song, fuck. God has really lost the plot. And you're, you're like watching the Grammys and somebody's there and then, you know, just God gave me, that's a piece of shit. And, uh, and then, you know, you go, no, maybe don't. Don't blame that one on God. So I'm, <laughs> I'm careful myself, therefore, not, not to say that these things I'm whispering to in case they turn out not so good. I don't want to blame them on God. But I do believe, as you say, that there's a deep intuition. We have our intellect, but we have intuition. And I think we do intuit our way towards what to do. And I was always suspicious, maybe because of my father, of, you know, the left and the right. I was always interested in the radical center. That's where I was coming from. And um, the Yeats poem, Second Coming, this, um, things fall apart, the center cannot hold, mere anarchy is loosed upon the world. Check it out. Um, but I, I think that um, I do sense and try to listen um, to myself and to others. And working with President Bush is amazing. You know, conservative, um, um, you know, a conservative, people felt that conservatives, you know, didn't give, they didn't care about people with HIV AIDS. And I didn't believe that. I, and I heard then, I also heard that, you know, that it polled evangelicals. They said, no, they, 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 didn't, they didn't feel called to do anything about HIV AIDS, that it was kind of, there was a sense of God's judgment here. And I'm like, whoa, wow, do these people not read the scriptures? It's like HIV AIDS, they're treating it like the leprosy. Like, what is this thing going on? Didn't Jesus hang out with them? You know, I just couldn't figure. So I used to go meet these evangelicals. And, and sure enough, I found that they were amazing campaigners. They just, they, they were kind of, if I might say this with great respect, um, narrow-minded idealists. And that if I could widen the aperture of their idealism, that maybe we could really do something. And I'm, you know, I, my, my, my worldview is shaped by sort of Judeo-Christian thinking. I mean, the Jewish, the sacred texts. I'm, I'm always amazed by the Jews because you think about, we talked about this, but you think about these sheep herders, you know, with, with, with their shoes, you know, smelling of, you know, shit on their shoes, going in front of a pharaoh. And the pharaoh's going, sorry, you, you think you're equal to me? And these Jewish sheep herders would just go, that's what it says in our book. Wow. And this is, this is the beginning of equality for me, you know. So these sacred texts matter to me. And so listening to them, Working with uh, people that you don't, 
Don't write people off. Um, we believe in the one campaign. You don't have to agree on everything if the one thing you agree on is important enough. And I don't know if this is too long to tell you this story, but it's I was actually watching the great, you will, I, the great sitting with Bob Geldof in a hotel room. He's one of the most handsome men in the world. And they say, you know, don't, don't see your idols in their underwear. <laughs> this man was beautiful. <laughs> and he has this uh, voice like that. He's pulling on his, yeah. He goes, Irish, yeah, let me tell you, yeah. Bobby Kennedy. <laughs> He said, yeah, he, man, he turned, that was hard. I said, Bobby Kennedy, he's a hero, he's Irish. It wasn't always like that. What are you gonna tell me, Harry Belafonte? <laughs> and he goes, oh yeah, I was there, he says. We had a meeting, I think it was the NAACP or some of those civil rights meeting with Martin Luther King. And everyone was giving out about Bobby Kennedy. Bobby Kennedy's this. He's an Irish redneck. He's a racist. He's this. And Martin, Dr. King, banged his hand. This is Harry Belafonte telling me. Martin is like looking at people and he's like, bangs, bangs. He's, this is it. We adjourn this meeting immediately and we shall reconvene when somebody has a one good thing to say about Bobby Kennedy. And they said, that's what we're saying, Martin. We can't find one good thing. He said, one good thing to say about Bobby Kennedy because that will be the door through which our movement shall pass. Wow. Yeah. And, and, and then he said, I said, what happened? He said, well, yeah, actually, Bobby was nervous about the civil rights movement in the South, thought they'd lose the South for the Democrats. And, and, and he was being careful on his brother's behalf, JFK, who was the president at the time. He was the attorney general. And what they got him, they found a bishop that he was close to and one of the Southern bishops connected, and they got through to Bobby Kennedy. And the end of the story is, Harry Belafonte gets emotional with me, and he goes, when Bobby Kennedy lay die on the Los Angeles pavement, there was no greater, no greater advocate for our struggle. And, and I, I tell the story in the book, I had to check it out, of course, and really double check it and treble check it. And it's transformation. And we're all capable of transformation. And our ideas get turned by the people we meet and we talk to. And so I use that. I'm always looking for that door. What is the door? And uh, yeah. And you, um, Jesse Helms was an old cold warrior, famous, big, tall guy from, is it North Carolina? I think it was North Carolina. And I, I spoke to him about HIV AIDS. 
And I spoke to him about the scriptures. He was a religious man. And his, everyone was scared of him. George Bush was scared of him. Everyone was scared of Jesse Helms. But he wept. And I pointed out that there was 2,003 verses of scripture about the poor. And that Jesus only spoke of judgment once. And it wasn't about people's sexuality. It was about the way they treated the poor, famously. The least of these, that, that scripture, if you know it. Anyway, um, he stood up, Jesse Holmes, and he, 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 big giant of a man, he come over here, you. I want to put my hands on you. I want to give you a blessing. And, and he did give me a blessing. And I really received it. And I was better for it. And he went on the steps of the Senate and apologized for the way he had spoken about HIV AIDS sufferers. So there you go, you know. I think this conversation is so much like so many of the conversations that I've had the opportunity to listen uh, from you and our uh, be on the stage with you or just have a phone call with you. And I never am sure who you are. Are you a prophet? Are you a priest? Are you a poet? Are you a philanthropist? And then when I see this title, Surrender, I ask myself, where did this come from? The ability to learn how to surrender to spirit, to bring in these visions whether they're the music or whether it's the family or whether it's the relationship with these politicians, which is extremely unusual for a politician, I, I mean, for a, for a musician. And of course, you know, it comes back in my mind, how should we look at you? And I think that one of the things we'll learn when we read the book and so forth and the, 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 the depth and how deep you're going now is kind of the question you know, this very powerful experience that you opened this conversation with, with your mother and with Iris. Mm. And is that the moment where you had to surrender? Mm. It's, it's funny because uh, my first step of faith, I failed because after my mother fainted, we all went back to number eight. Mm -hmm. And there was a factory of sandwiches and tea and Iris had fainted. She'd, they'd just taken her to the hospital. And, um, and I remember then hearing kind of whispers, Iris, Iris has fainted, Iris fainted. Iris, it's not, it's bad, it's bad, it's bad. So it's, Iris, and just hear all this like, uh, whispers, and then I remember my my uh, my uh, father and 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 the brother-in-law coming in, and and they knew something was was really bad, and and my mother's sisters started to wail, and and I said to them with great conviction, not even understanding my faith, she'll be okay, she'll be all right. I'm praying, 
and I know my prayers will be answered. They were answered, but just not the way I wanted them to be. And I suppose that should have set me back, but it didn't. And I'm, I'm, I'm often annoyed by religious people, so I don't really want to be one. And they're always, they're the wrong kind of salespeople. Um, sometimes, but I, my faith is, was a gift probably from that moment. Yeah. And, uh, and I, I think, I think, I think, I think it was. So that's when the, 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 the hole was started to be filled. And it is a wild, I think religious people, we need to be aware of how absurd it is to people, you know, to, who don't believe, because it makes much more sense not to believe. And some of the greatest people I've ever met are, you know, atheists. But if you are one of those people who are ready to take on the absurdity of it, I, you know, it, 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 uh, it starts to take, it doesn't make your negatives go away. They're still there, but they start to work for you. So the thing that you're missing in your life, in my case, um, love, you go find it in a crowd. And it, it's, it's a good thing for a singer. And... Um, yeah, so that hole, that void, I've been feeling ever since. And it's funny being here in this theatre. This is, this is the theatre that Steve Jobs used to use. Okay, so I've been here a couple of times. I walked in the backstage. I was like, wow. I remember the iPod. And I remember Steve. And I know it was a little controversial, but we did put an album in... Um, <laughs> And Guy uh, <laughs> O'Siri is uh, is not looking so serious. Um, but I'll tell you this: that was the album that had a song on it called "Iris," and it was digital only. And about five days before. Um, be, um, before the album's going out, I called Guy Siri and I said, listen, I can't put this song on. I'm 50 fucking five. I'm singing about my mother. God, I just can't do it. And he's like, but the lyrics are great. The star that gives us light has been gone a while, but it's not an illusion. The ache that's in my heart is still a part of who I am. Something in your eyes took a thousand years to get here. Something in your eyes. Anyway, I wanted it off the album. And Guy and I think Jen Pitcher got in touch and said, you actually can't, they put these things, even digitally, they're in, they're like, they're uploaded. You can't get it off. And I'm like, okay, all right. And then I put the phone down and I was like, why, what is this? 
How many years was that? How long ago and am I still talking about it? And I went, oh, it was 40 years ago. Oh, when was it? I couldn't remember the date. Oh, it was September. Oh, wow. When was it in September? And we never talked about my mother, so we lost all, a lot of memories of her. So I called my brother, I said, when, when did Iris die? And he said, I don't know, because <laughs> he didn't know either. He said, I'll ask my Uncle Jack. And he said, he didn't know. But they could remember the wedding anniversary and the funeral of the grandfather. And it was that day. So it's mad. You said something very powerful that I think a lot of people wrestle with, which is that Surrender is a dance between absurdity and faith. Mm -hmm. is, is that the dance that's going on inside you? Certainly absurdity. Um, and there's certainly faith, so probably. Um, I mean, the other thing I don't trust is, uh, I don't trust people who are not funny. I mean, I just <laughs> don't. And it's like, you can be as wise as you want, but like, if I'm sitting there and you're not funny, You gotta believe that the divine comedy, right? <clears throat> so, uh, but yeah, there is an embracing, you're right, of the absurdity of, of it all. And uh, yeah, that's right. And I love, I love to, I love the ridiculous things. And I know I'm <clears throat> also ridiculous. And, uh, Looking ridiculously good, I think, at the moment. <laughs> God damn these comfortable chairs. <laughs> you say anything. That's why you put them there. <laughs> these chairs are like MDMA. Would you like a shot of ketamine with that? <laughs> I've had one. <laughs> On the rocks. <laughs> so, um, where are you going now? You're, you've become the master of surrender. You've written a book about it. I'm not point. a master. I'm a, I'm a servant of surrender. You're the servant of surrender. SOS. Servant of surrender. I just thought of that, but I'm going to run you with it as if I'd always thought of it. Uh -huh. <laughs> Should we call the publisher and have them hold the book published? <laughs> No, I think 40 okay. Tall Tales from a Shore Rockstar, if we have to s swap it out. Um, but yeah, SOS is, is yeah, is these are urgent times. Yeah. I mean, I'm looking to make peace with myself and my maker, but I'm not making peace with the world. The world is, is to be mm -hmm. resisted at times. And this is one of those times, and you're doing an amazing job locally and globally. And I love that people who come to work for Salesforce can be absolute fuckers, <laughs> but they're probably not gonna get on as well 
as the people who are thinking about their communities and thinking about doing something useful in their communities. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, if we're talking about faith, I'd say that's, that's, our, that's my bottom line prayer and in our families, just to be useful. Mm -hmm. And I, I wish to be useful going forward. But I think it might mean serving the song more and my interest in conquering Everest's less. Please thank Bono. Thank you. All right, I hope you enjoyed our special coverage of Dreamforce. To hear and see more, head over to Salesforce Plus, that's salesforce.com slash plus, where you can find so much more from this year's Dreamforce. And we'll be bringing you more highlights throughout the years. Blazing Trails is a production of Salesforce Studios, produced by Rachel Levin and engineered by Ryan Kleeman and Michelle Luong, with original music from Andrew Duncan. I'm Michael Revo. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.